Okay, we are in Ruth, <coughs> Ruth chapter 3, <coughs> and in Ruth chapter 3, we, we had read last time about how, how Naomi had given a plan to Ruth on how to exercise the request that Boaz fulfill his role as the kinsman redeemer to acquire the land and to acquire Ruth rather than Naomi as the one who will bring up through her the line for, for, for that family line. We talked last time about how she went and approached uh, Boaz and did exactly as she was told to do. And then in verse 13 of Ruth chapter 3, we'll pick it up there. Well, let me, let me start reading from verse 12. Now, it is true I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again he said, Give me the coat that is on you and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said, Wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. So, He does not touch this woman, Ruth, even though she says, fulfill this role, he would not touch her. And he would not touch her because of what was said in verse 12. It says, now it is true I am a close relative, however, there is a relative closer than I. There was a precise order. The one who, could, who was to have the first obligation, and this may be one of the reasons why Boaz never pushed this earlier on with Ruth. He could have initiated this with Ruth or with Naomi. But maybe because he realized he is indeed a near kinsman, but he is not the first in line to be the kinsman redeemer. There is an order, there is a prescribed order that is good and right in marriage. Moreover, he didn't touch this woman even though she is approaching him to fulfill his role as as being the one to have to marry her. Again, from our culture, it sounds very strange. Not from their culture. There is a role that he was to fulfill. He was to redeem that land that needed to be sold by Naomi. He was to redeem that land according to, to uh, Leviticus chapter 25. And then he could also fulfill the role as a brother would have to fulfill, but he could fulfill it if he wanted to. He didn't have to fulfill this other role of the marriage, although he was functioning very closely under this. So he didn't send her away in the middle of the night. Remember, it was the middle of the night when he rose up and was startled. He said, wait, <clears throat> wait until morning. 
And just before the, the sun was rising, he sent her away when it would be much safer for her to go back. But he didn't send her back empty-handed. He sent her back with six measures of barley. And six measures of barley is between 65 and 90 pounds, depending on how they measured the barley. And that's why it says, and he laid it on her. So, in other words, he had to take this and set it on her. She couldn't just go, and just go walking away after flinging this over her back. And she walked away carrying this gift. He said, this gift is for your mother-in-law. This is an indication that he is going to take care of Naomi. With this woman, Ruth, part of the package deal is the mother-in-law. Did you know that in marriage, part of the package deal is the family? So you're marrying into families. Now, you may choose that I want to have nothing to do with that family. I just want the girl, but I don't want the family. Well, to some extent, you're going to have to deal with the family. To some extent, there is some, some measure of care that has to be displayed with your spouse's parents. If your spouse's parents are able to take care of themselves in their old age, that is a wonderful thing. If your spouse's parents are able to financially take care of themselves in their old age, to physically take care of themselves or have themselves taken care of, that's great. But that may not always be the case. You marry into a family. And so he's realizing that I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be here also for your mother-in-law. There is a group of people that you marry into. Families become part of this. You say, well, I don't care about a family. I just want her. I don't care about his family. I only want him. Remember, this is not the scriptural way. Within the scriptures, there was very much a part of a family. And then she says to him, she, she, then, then Ruth goes back to Naomi, and Naomi asks her, how did it go? We had this plan, how did it go? And, and she told Naomi everything that the man said. It says in verse 16, and she told her all that the man had done for her. So if you ask a young man, how did it go? The young man says, just fine. Went all right. And that's it. And the guy's communicating, and that's what happens. You get two girls together. You say, how did it go? For hours. You know, the event may have only been 30 seconds. But there's three-hour conversation around every word and scrutinizing every word and, and the nuance of what every word meant. Even though the guy may have not meant anything by that. He wasn't even thinking about that. But the girls are just going to, you know, take this and look at it from every direction, up, down, all over. Do you know what I mean? So you can imagine that Ruth and her mother-in-law, it wasn't like, how did it go? And she repeated every word that he said verbatim, and that was it. I mean, these women are really conversing about this thing. Right? You, you, look, at, you look at two guys in a restaurant sitting and talking, and, you know, there's an occasional word going back and forth. You know, occasionally they'll look up at each other. And then you, you look over two women and the hands are going and they're really into this. It's a different type of expression. And this, this happens in marriage as well. And, and sometimes it bothers women that men don't engage as much as they would like in conversation. But remember, when two men go fishing, they go fishing together and 
And one guy says, catching anything? Nope. Me either. I mean, and they're, they're conversing. That's conversation. And then the two wives are together out somewhere. And then the wife gets back together with the husband and says, how'd it go at fishing? Fine. What'd you guys talk about? Nothing. I mean, <laughs> but they were communicating. This is the way men communicate versus the two women who were together while the guys were off fishing and they were really just going on and on and on. So this woman comes back and says, you know, I know so much about Mary and all of this, that, that. Tell me about her husband. I don't know nothing about her husband. He didn't catch anything either. So what do you want to know? Well, what'd you talk about? Nothing. But you were together all day. We talked about fishing. What'd you talk about? Nothing. We didn't catch anything. You see what I mean? This is a different type of conversation. Buried within here is, remember, there's a limited number of bits permitted in this book. If that conversation went on, that would have been like, you know, 25% of the words in this book. Just between the conversation between those two women of probably what was going to happen. But finally, Naomi says, just in verse 18, wait my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. Again, the mother-in-law says to the daughter, wait. Wait. This is an important thing. When you're pursuing marriage, when you're pursuing the evaluation of marriage, is this the right one? What, this word, wait, is huge. Slow down. Let this thing be analyzed. Wait for a while. Wait for a while until everything is settled. When she means let it be settled, it means that all of a sudden Ruth found out there was a near kinsman who was nearer than Boaz. And this near kinsman may exercise his right to buy back the land and to take Ruth. And so the woman says, wait, you, you know, just, just pull back. Moreover, Boaz understood the law. The law said that there was a near kinsman who had greater access than him. And he was not going to circumvent the law, but he was going to yield to it. There is a proper order. There's a proper order in marriage. There's a proper order in relationships. There's a proper order in physical relationship prior to marriage, as we discussed about quite specifically last week. He was not going to sidestep that law, but he was going to work at it in the prescribed order. And then Boaz begins to address it in chapter 4, verse 1. He begins to take the proper steps to address this thing. He didn't just say, well, you know, it might work out, therefore we'll just... We just might as well, you know, let's not waste the time and sleep together. And let's not waste the time and not sleep together. No, he, he puts this in proper order. So now in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of, of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, 
has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of the people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased in the inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would just jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have it. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. Okay, so Boaz, it says, he goes into the city, and it says that he goes into the gate of the city. If you just keep your finger there, turn to Proverbs 31. In Proverbs 31 is the proverb of the virtuous woman, the virtuous wife. And it speaks a little bit about her husband. And in Proverbs 31, verse 23, it says, Her husband is known in the gate when he sits among the elders of the land. The city gate was the place in which business deals were conducted. It was the seat of civil authority. The elders would sit there and people would go there to have actions taken place, to cut deals. And it says, her husband is known in the gates. That is a place of being distinguished. If he is known in the gates, it means he frequents there. He sits among these groups of elders of the land. When he sits among the elders of the land, it says in Proverbs 31. So what can a woman pray for? In Proverbs 31, it talks about this virtuous wife. But also buried within that text, is the text concerning some characteristics of the husband. And the husband has a place of recognition among the authorities of the land. That is a good thing to pray for. Women pray for a husband that would have a good reputation. That would have a good reputation among the leaders of his community. And this is what Boaz had in Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz was able to go up to the gate <clears throat> and he sat there and he waited for this near kinsman to come in. And as soon as he saw him, he was going to deal with business. Look what Naomi said in verse 18. He said, she said, he will not rest until he has settled it today. In other words, Boaz didn't, was not a procrastinator. He dealt with issues when they needed to be dealt with. He dealt with them swiftly. It was Ruth's time to sit back and wait. It was Boaz's time to deal with this issue. Women, pray that you get a husband who deals with issues when they need to be dealt with swiftly. That he would deal with issues concerning the children quickly. It is a good thing to have a husband that would do that. One day, one of my, one of my uh, children said to me, one of my daughters said to me that, that, uh, that something that really alarmed me about, about uh, what she would say. She made a statement and it really alarmed me as to whether she was physically okay. 
And immediately, I scheduled an appointment with a doctor and brought her in. I wanted to do that. Because, and and it, it was more of an emotional health than a physical health problem. And immediately, I wanted to deal with this. It is a good thing to have a husband that will address things quickly in issues that are concerning the family that need to be dealt with. Many times I've had women come to me and to say, my husband won't deal with this problem. He won't deal with this problem with the children. He won't deal with this problem in our marriage. It is a good thing to swiftly deal with them. Boaz, it says, he met with the leaders of the, of the area. He, he saw the friend passing by. He grabbed him. He said, sit down here. And then he took ten men of the elders of the city. This is that ten men, that minion that is prescribed for, for any synagogue, any orthodox synagogue, cannot open up the, the, the scrolls of the Torah until there's at least ten Jewish men present. There could be a hundred Jewish women present. doesn't matter. They can't open up the scrolls until there's at least ten Jewish men present. They get that from this, that there were ten men present. He took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit here. Whatever he did, he did openly. This was not something that was hidden. It was not a decision that was made between the two of them in secret. When you are defining for your marriage... Who is this individual? Let it not be a decision made in secret. And then after the decision is made and confirmed by sleeping together and all these other things, then going and saying, hey, we're getting married and telling everybody what you're going to do. No, you let the decision even be made, decision be rendered within the community, within the group of that community. That is an important thing to do. That is an important thing that should be done. There was a community involvement. And we're going to see the community of family in this, the community of friends. And what I have noticed is that when people most don't want to bring others into this decision, it's when they know that the decision is not quite right. One young lady called and she said, she said, I want Dr. Tour to meet this, this, this guy I'm, uh, I've met. He's a great guy. We're, we're getting married. And, and Shireen asked her, is this guy a believer? She said, well, no, but he's a very nice guy. And she said to her, well, you know, Dr. Tour is going to tell you that it's not right. And you're absolutely right. I would. I tell her right to her face. If he's not a believer, don't marry him. Boy, that's cruel. Well, take that up with God. What would be really cruel if I didn't share with you what God's Word says? You don't marry an unbeliever. You don't get unequally yoked. No matter how good of a person he is. That is one of the things in the list that is very clear. And many women have married unbelievers hoping that they become believers because they were ever so close. They go to church. They're willing to go to church with me, and we've decided. We're going to raise our family Christian. We've decided that. Oh, we've decided that, or you've decided that for him, and then watch him change his mind. You remember, there is a oneness in faith and a oneness in this. 
And this is where the community of decision comes in. And it wasn't something that was done in secret. He called together ten elders. He said, I want witnesses to this thing. This is a community decision in the, the community of the family. Because one of the things that you need to have a marriage survive is family support, another thing is church support, and another thing is one who makes a promise before God. So as many problems as Shireen and I have had in our marriage, there has never been an issue of divorce. Because for me, and I will speak for myself, there was a promise that I made to her before God and to God. That is a promise that will be kept until the day that she dies or I die. And the scriptures are clear that upon the death of one of those two parties, that is as long as the promise goes. But I can tell you there was a promise made. We need those three pillars. We need church, we need family, and we need a promise that is kept before God. You go in to marriage without those three, and it is like going, in, going up to bat with already three strikes run up against you. We need to have family to support us in this. Family is good. If family is not one with you, then pray. If it's God's will, I have seen Him turn even unbelieving families. I've seen Him turn them. You want the family supporting you. You want the church support. You want the community of the body of Christ. And you want a person who not only knows how to make a promise to you, but a promise to you before God and to God. That I promise before God that until the day one of us dies, this is a promise that will be kept. This is what he was doing by setting him up, setting up with the elders of the land. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the truth of your word, how good it is. And Father, I pray that you would so take these young people and give them just a heart to see something here of the truth of God and to pray that truth into their own lives for their own marriages. Father, I pray that they have good and healthy and strong marriages. Father, that each one here would marry a believer and there would be promises that would be made before God. That they'd have the blessing of family and the body of Christ. And I pray for your grace to abound on them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.